at the intersection of mental health and parenting, that's where you'll find me. I'm Joni Edelman, and this is Mama Mental, the podcast that explores what it's like to raise human beings while you're still trying to figure out how to be one. Welcome to another episode of Joni Does Not Know What She's Doing With Her Life. Thanks for joining. There has been a lot of good and positive feedback about the first three episodes. I appreciate you, people. I appreciate your listening. I appreciate your the, the time that you devote to my irritating voice in your ear. I appreciate you reaching out to me and telling me when something has helped you or made you feel less alone. And that's what I hope for with this podcast more than anything is to bring us all together in this common experience of life, which is difficult regardless of what particular issues you personally might be facing, whether it's mental health or money or whatever, you know, it's all hard. That's the thing, right? We're all here and it's hard regardless of who you are. So about every fourth episode, I thought I would do a Q&A um, and I will answer just as many questions as I can in a half hour. These questions that I have today are ones that were sent in to me a while ago because I've been sitting on them since I first asked for it um, back when, gosh, I guess when I first started, which was like almost a year ago. So I literally have a, a document in my computer that's Mama Mental Q&A and the questions have just been sitting there and I have left it open in my browser because who doesn't have 19 tabs open all the time, right? So I'm going to answer, I have four, we'll see if I can do all four um, I can definitely do three. If you have a question that you want answered or addressed, you can email me at mamamental at gmail.com and I will do my best to answer with my own personal experience and medical expertise if it fits. I, um, again, the disclaimer with I'm not a doctor, that's at the end of the episode. I put that there so that um, there's no confusion. But I am always happy to take questions from people about anything from mental health to raising kids to talking to kids about mental health. Uh, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm totally here for it. So um, bah, 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 bah. let's just jump. Let's jump. Let's do it. Let's go in. Okay, let's just go head first into the, into the deep end of these questions. Question number one is how do you deal with manic episodes with your children? When I get in clean every nook and cranny or let's do something fun every second of the day, I can see their little faces get so overwhelmed. I've been better at keeping it to myself, but it's still a struggle when I'm sliding furniture around while they're still on it. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing because I've done that. Uh, I have done that. I've absolutely done that. And this is a great question. The first thing I'm going to say is that ideally you are medicated 
well so that you're not experiencing repeated bouts of mania. Now, medication, psychiatric meds are, of course, a very fine art in balance and dosage. And the, the way that my psychiatrist has described it to me and the way that I often describe it to other people is that uh, the ups and downs that are so violent become just a little less violent. You know, it's like you go from these wild emotional swings to just smaller little bumps. You still have some energy during those times. I mean, there still is a noticeable mood shift for you. But ideally, the mood shift is not so great that it's impacting your way of life. So that said... When it comes to actually experiencing even these smaller shifts in hypomania while medicated, uh, I usually, my answer is generally not to involve the children in what's going on. Um, I, if I'm doing something frantically in the way that I do when I'm manic, for example, I'm sewing or something like that, uh, I just try to do it and just keep it to myself, you know. I, they see me doing it, of course, but I, I try not to expect anything from them. Now with my bigger kids, that I was not good at that, and I was not medicated, so I was manic, and I was sort of dragging them along. And I'll tell you that we've talked about it. Uh, if you listen to the episode with Kelsey, she'll tell you that she doesn't really remember that. So I think there's a little bit of leeway there as well. She doesn't remember me and my manic episodes, and yeah, I, I was you know, ripping the bedrooms apart, cleaning things, and all of that sort of behavior. Uh, so she she doesn't remember that. Uh, she definitely remembers me being clean and me making her clean, but I don't think she sees it as pathological. And as far as what you've already done, or if your kids are older, as she said in that episode, I'm sorry goes a really long way. So just to say, I'm sorry, you know, I made a mistake. This was not a great choice whatever the choice was. Either I wasn't medicated or, you know, I was doing something while I was unmedicated. And they will forgive you. You know, generally speaking, they will forgive you. And that's the great thing about the truth is that when you're living it, you can't, and you and there's nowhere for you to hide or you know, there's no, there's no place. You're just fallible. You know what I mean? You're just a, you are a human being who is fallible, who has problems, who has done bad shit and your kids know, and you tell them, I am a human being and I am fallible and I have problems and I have done bad shit. You know, I, I had to, you know, I left my kid's dad in a bout of mania and yeah, and I and I immediately shacked up with my husband who I'm married to now. You know, there's no point in me trying to pretend that didn't happen. Pretending that it didn't happen isn't going to take away the pain. It's not going to take away their memories. So the best way to handle it for me and for them is to confront the truth and then to just apologize and own it. I did this thing. I'm sorry I did that thing. I'm sorry I hurt you when I did that thing. You know? 
it's painful. Bipolar disorder is, is unique in the sense that you often appear, at least in type 2 bipolar disorder. Type 1, you can have periods of mania where you're actually experiencing psychosis and you don't even know, like, who you are, you know? You think you're Jesus or something. But type 2 bipolar disorder often appears as just a very energetic version of yourself because the behaviors that you're engaging in might be hidden. For example, if you're spending money, you're shopping, unless someone's paying attention to how much money you're spending, no one's really going to know because you can shove stuff in corners and closets and, you know, no, it, how many of you, my husband doesn't know what I have. Uh, he doesn't care. He doesn't pay attention. Um, same with the sexual behaviors, with the sexual deviance or risk-taking behavior. You're engaging in things privately. You're, you know, you're either cheating or you're having, uh, you know, you're paying someone for sex, which is still cheating, or you're, you're dressing very provocatively. People can see those things, obviously, but a lot of that stuff can just be chalked up to, you know, just weird behavior, right? And then, of course, the totality of it will eventually make itself apparent. You know, you'll either be broke or you'll get caught or something like that will happen. It's all very, uh, it's embarrassing, because the thing is, you look like a normal person, but you're doing things that are so out of the realm of normal. And then a lot of times those things are even being praised or, or rewarded. In my case, I was marathon training. Uh, I was restricting calories. I had an eating disorder layered on top of my mania, but it, it was like as I lost all this weight and as I ran more and more distance, People just saw me as dedicated. They never saw any of that as problematic until it was too late. And then, of course, after an episode of bad hypomania or mania, you know, you're, you're going to, the aftermath is there and it has to be dealt with. So that's kind of the thing with bipolar disorder that's different. Like if you're schizophrenic, People generally know you're schizophrenic or, or they can tell something's not right with you. When you're bipolar, especially in our American culture, you just look energetic. You know, you just look like you've got your shit together. You're just like, go get her, that sort of thing. But it's pathological still, regardless. Okay, question number two. Thoughts on using CBD for mental health. CBD, the cannabinoid extract. I apologize for my squeaky chair. Every time I move, it's squeaking and it's really, really irritating. But I can't, I have to move my butt because I have to lean forward and look at my computer. Okay, so what, it, first of all, let's do what is CBD, okay? For the people who don't know. Uh, CBD is a compound found in cannabis, more commonly known as marijuana. But it is not psychoactive. It is the portion of, it's the chemical compound that does not cause psychoactive reaction. So you don't feel like your arms are detached from your body. You know what I mean? <laughs> this sort of thing. You don't have that high feeling. But it is very useful or has been proven to be very useful in lots of different 
disorders, everything from pain, inflammation, anxiety, psychosis, you name it, seizures, uh, all of that. Chronic conditions, chronic pain, arthritis, multiple sclerosis. Uh, lots of people have used it for depression and had success. But I'm going to answer this question not as a nurse. I'm going to answer it as a human because some the medical studies are in that, yes, it does help, but also you're talking about subjective answers, right? This is someone experiencing a relief of their depression is subjective. So my feeling about it is, well, why the hell wouldn't you try it? You know, if it's available to you, if you're able to obtain it, and it is legal uh, in most states, I think, I would have to look and tell you for sure, but I know it's legal in most states, you can buy it and have it shipped to you. You can buy it in gummy bear form. Because it's not psychoactive. It's not a drug. Why wouldn't you try? The only downside is, is that it is expensive. And it is more expensive than a pharmaceutical. You could much more easily obtain a prescription for Zoloft that costs you $10 and lasts you an entire month. Where if you were taking a, what would be like the recommended dose of CBD in anxiety is like 50 milligrams a day. Well, if you bought a bottle of gummy bears that has 300 milligrams in it and it's $40, we do the math. That's six days. You're not if you're taking it every day. And most people who are suffering from anxiety or depression do need a long-term medication. So I would say it's in most cases not a substitute for psychiatric meds for most people. I would not rely on CBD to treat my bipolar disorder at no flipping way. It wouldn't work. It just wouldn't. I will probably get emails from people saying it does. But in my case, I just know that it wouldn't. Mama Mental is brought to you by Ravishly.com, your source for feelings, family, and feminism. I could probably find a strain of THC the actual marijuana compound that does cause the psychoactive behavior or psychoactive reaction that would work for my mania by chilling me out. But then I would be just chilled out all the time and I would want to sit on my couch and eat pizza probably. And that's not reasonable or reliable. It brings us to the question of the value of pharmaceuticals and whether or not they are overprescribed, overused, given too much credit for being the cure, whether they're being given as a band-aid, all of those things need, it needs their, its own episode. That needs its own, probably multiple episodes, because it's a very deep discussion historically uh, and around the world, what has happened. It's just, it's too much to address. But I don't, in my case, I would never recommend that someone try to replace their psych meds with something like CBD. I just don't. Psych meds are specifically designed to treat very particular chemical imbalances in your brain. And doctors are smart and they do research on these things. I don't like psych meds. I don't like the side effects. You know, my relationship with psych meds is, is really tumultuous. I, I hate them for certain aspects of them side effect wise I love them because they keep me sane and they keep me alive so it's 
it's a matter of deciding what you're willing to live with, your trade-off. I had this conversation with my psychiatrist about Lamictal, which is my mood stabilizer, and it does cause what they call word-finding issues. And I do have issues coming up with words. In fact, I just had to pause to think of a word. Sometimes it takes me a really long time. Sometimes I have to Google a synonym of the word to find the word. So I went to him and I, I said, this is just not, this is not good. I, I need to be able, I'm a writer. I need to be able to write. I need to be able to come up with words without sitting, pulling my hair out. And he said, well, okay, but you also need to not be crazy. So which one? And that's valid. That's a really valid, it's a valid point. Because what are, what are you picking? You know, what are you picking? What thing are you picking? Are you picking your family, your safety, your sanity? Or are you picking your craft, your energy, your art? And in a lot of cases, people do pick that. Especially in bipolar disorder. It's one of the illnesses that has the highest rate of non-compliance with medications. For that reason. Because no one wants to give up mania. It's beautiful. Who doesn't want to feel on top of the world? Who doesn't want to feel like a superstar? Who doesn't want to feel like they can do anything, everything, all the things? It's great. Until it's not. Right? It's great until everything falls apart. My mother has never been able to stay medicated. And and that's why. I got her medicated. I, I took her to my physician. I got her officially diagnosed. I got her medicated. She stayed on the meds maybe a month. She said, well, I just don't like the way they make me feel. Translated, I don't like my mania being gone. She's not comfortable in a state of stability. She's only comfortable in these wild mood swings. So she medicates her depression with alcohol. She doesn't medicate her mania. She just gets married a bunch of times and does a bunch of other crazy shit. And... The result is she doesn't have a relationship with either of her daughters. Because she's just not stable enough for us to engage in a relationship with her. So, summing that up. Sure, try CBD. Please don't replace your psych meds with it. Okay, the next question. How, question three. How do you deal with family members that are not understanding? After uh, reaching back out to the person who asked this question to clarify, the question was meant to refer to family members who aren't understanding of your mental illness, which is not that uncommon. First of all, you have a whole generation of people before us, and I'm 44, but my parents' generation and their parents' generation were very much bootstrappers. I remember talking to my dad about clinical depression and him saying, when I was a kid, we just called that sad, which in some circumstances is true because yeah, there, it is overdiagnosed probably in the sense that doctors aren't taking the time to really figure out what's going on with patients. Oh, you have depression. Here's your meds. They're not really digging deep. What's your diet like? What's your thyroid like? What, you know, what things are you doing in your life? Are you exercising? Are you happy? All of those sorts of things. But there are clinical conditions that were not recognized or treated. And you have a whole generation of people who thinks you should just be able to cope. 
Well, let me tell you what that looked like in 1976. My grandmother's sister, who was the first person in our family to actually be diagnosed as, at that time, they called it manic depressive, she overdosed in a hotel room. And my mother identified her body. That's what happened. When, when you don't acknowledge that these things are real. And yet, and yet, people will still tell you that your mental illness is created or that a doctor made you think you were sick when you weren't. You will still hear this bullshit from people. How do you deal with it? Well, there are a few ways to deal with it. One, if you have the emotional spoons and you are in a place of stability, this is a great opportunity for education. And I have had these conversations with my father. It's not easy. It's emotional labor, definitely. You're, you have to delve deep into your own problems and you're trying to explain them to someone else who might not even be sympathetic or empathetic. But I did this with my dad and I sat down and I said, I need you, I need to talk to you about the things that have happened in my life and why. And I showed him the moments. Remember when I was in high school and this was happening? That was my first break. Remember when this happened? Remember when this happened? Remember, you know, and he was like, okay, okay, okay. Okay, so you can all, you can tell me all day long that mental illness isn't real. But I'm going to tell you that those things really happened. I really engaged in those behaviors. I really harmed myself. And I am on medication now. And I'm not doing that anymore. End of argument. Now, that's presuming you have the emotional, mental capacity to talk to a person. If you do not, if you are in a more fragile state or you're newly diagnosed or your meds aren't working or you're in, a, in, a, in the process of changing meds, you don't owe people anything. I don't care if they're your mama, your dad, your grandma, your auntie, your husband. You do not owe anyone an explanation for what you are dealing with. If they are not able to be empathetic or sympathetic to you, you have every right and responsibility to yourself to say, I cannot be around you right now. I am not in a place where I can emotionally handle conflict. What I need is support. Which brings me to my next point, and that is to say the best way for most people to understand and help is for you to just really bullet point tell them what you need. And I've done some uh, GIFs, little videos on Instagram about this, how to support your loved ones, how to ask for what you need, those, along, those things along those lines, because it is hard to figure it out. But it's as simple as saying factually here's what i need and i'll use myself as an example because it's easy so i the in this scenario i am newly diagnosed and my ex person whoever my grandma doesn't understand and is not empathetic or compassionate the approach again in the event that you're able to do this is to sit down with that person and say this is what is happening with me. 
I have been to a psychiatrist and I have been diagnosed as bipolar type, whatever, two, one. The diagnosis means that I need to make some changes. I have been prescribed the following medications to help me with this problem. This is a difficult time and I am in need of support right now. Here are the ways that you can support me. It's really important that I get a good night's sleep. Can you help me with my children? Can you remind me that I need this? It's really important that I take my medications. Can you pick them up for me at the pharmacy? It's really hard right now for me to accept this diagnosis because it feels fatal. I would love it if you could support me with your words. Encourage me. What I need right now is not criticism. What I need is the loving arms of someone who can understand that I am in pain. Can you give that to me? If they cannot, that is the point at which you say, if you are unable to support me right now, I'm going to have to put some distance between myself and you. Period. I mean, it really is that simple. Does anyone want to be estranged from their family or people that they love? Usually not. But here's the thing, little story. When I got, when I left my husband, my first husband, I, I didn't have anywhere to go. He, I told him I wanted a divorce. He kicked me out of the house. That's fine. I deserved it. Whatever. That's not the point. The point is I went to my grandmother's house. I stayed there for a couple of days while I was getting an apartment. I got the apartment. My husband now, Matt, moved in with me almost like, very quickly after I got the apartment. My family was outraged. Now, putting this into perspective, I was in the middle of a manic episode. I was, you know, newly divorced. I was not thinking right. My family called me and said, you can't come for Thanksgiving or Christmas. We don't want you here. You're breaking up your family. You're destroying your children. You're being selfish. And I, we just can't be around that. And I went to my grandmother's house with tears in my eyes. At the time, I was working hospice and I was watching people die almost daily. I was watching mothers leaving behind children, fathers leaving behind daughters. I was watching husbands leaving their wives, wives leaving their husbands. I was watching people <clears throat> die. And as I was watching these people die, the common thread among them all was this wish that they had repaired their broken relationships. This desire to have smoothed over whatever things had gone wrong. And whenever possible, 
I would facilitate that. But there was one family that this happened in that I was unable to facilitate. The mother was holding on and, and sort of just wouldn't die. She was catatonic and she was showing all signs that she was going to die, but she just wouldn't. And as it turned out, she had a son who she had been estranged from. And though she was not able to communicate that to me, her daughters were. And I called him and I said, your mother needs your permission to die. She cannot die until she knows you love her. And he said, too bad. I'm not coming. And a couple of days after that woman died, I went to my grandmother's house. And I sat in her living room and I said, I love you. I sobbed. I love you. Please do not lock me out. And I told her, I'm watching people die. I'm watching people die every day with the only wish on their lips as they're taking their dying breath is, I wish I would have fixed this thing sooner. I wish I wouldn't have wasted time. And she told me to get out. And this has been nine years ago now. And there has never been a real reconciliation. At some point, you know, I had a baby and she started sending gifts for the baby. And we would go over and we did go for Thanksgiving after we'd been married for a couple of years, you know. We, we, we slowed our, slow, slowly showed our faces more and more. But the damage was done. I needed support in that time and they could not see past my error. And while it was very, very hard for me to be estranged from my family, especially as a newly divorced person with children, that was the best thing for me mentally at the time because they weren't able to support me and they wouldn't have been able to support me because what I was doing was in conflict with their beliefs. And I don't fault them for that. How can you fault someone for for living whatever their truth is? But I, I do fault them for holding me to a standard that they don't expect other people to meet. And I do fault them for, for not listening when I begged to be let back in. The thing is, your mental illness is your journey it's your struggle and it's wonderful and beautiful if you have people around you who are able to help you in that struggle but sometimes there aren't and in that case you have to find a chosen family you have to come up with different ways to obtain that support which is hard but worth it because you're worth it Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Mama Mental. And while I am a registered nurse, nothing that I say in this podcast should be interpreted as medical advice. Please speak to your own healthcare provider. And if you are feeling suicidal, Call the Suicide Helpline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 
8255.